0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of the Personal Finance Show on Money, How It Works, How to Invest It, and How to Live Without Worrying About It. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 160. It's titled Why Ethical Consumption is a Myth. The home where we recently moved is an outdoor wood-burning pizza oven, hand-built by the previous owner. Over Memorial Day weekend, our daughter and one of our sons came over to help us prepare and cook our first pizzas in the oven. We realized we were missing two important tools, a laser thermometer to figure out if the inside temperature of the oven was sufficiently hot to cook the pizza, and a hatchet to split the hardwood used in the oven. We managed to still cook our pizzas. They turned out pretty good. And we did it by guessing at the oven temperature and using a doll ax to split wood. My brother-in-law mentioned that he had gotten a laser thermometer at Harbor Freight Tools, which is a store here in our local community. In fact, they have over 700 stores around the country. I only know this because I've looked it up after the fact. I'd never been to Harbor Freight. And my initial impulse was just to buy this stuff off Amazon, but I was trying to buy more local. So my son and daughter, we drove to the nearby Harbor Freight Tools store. And I admit, I had never really cared for this store, mainly because I didn't know much about it, but I didn't like how it looked. I've been by dozens of times, and I thought, frankly, it was ugly. It's a rectangular building with a blank steel and brick wall facing the street, with no windows. The asphalt parking lot extends to the sidewalk with no landscape buffer, and the signage is red with large white letters and no logo. And I used to be on our our local town's planning and zoning committee for about eight years, and so I'm some, I'm somewhat sensitive, more sensitive than many. With some of these architectural issues in terms of commercial buildings. But the the lettering on the sign is just very, very plain. Seth Godin wrote that fonts are designed in a little tiny box. Fonts tell a story at the same time they deliver the letters you need to tell your story. In other words, there's a backstory, there's metadata when it comes to how a sign is written and the font selected. The story I was told. At least I interpreted every time I drove by Harbor Freight Tools and looked at their plain looking sign, which turned out to be an antique olive Nord font. I looked that up and the story was they did the bare minimum to get this enterprise going that they were cheap. Now, I suspect others who see the sign see a completely different story, perhaps a discount tool outlet. But I didn't even know they sold tools. I just never considered stopping. I thought with a name like Harbor Freight Tools, they sold equipment to ship and move freight. I envisioned a store full of forklifts, and it had never occurred to me they might have tools until my brother-in-law mentioned they had a thermometer. So we went in. It was crowded mostly with men, many of them holding advertising inserts and coupons. We quickly found a laser thermometer for $27.99, which my brother-in-law got his for free, so I figured it was a fair price. It was more than free, and then we stood in front of the axe and hatchet section. The hatchet prices seemed incredibly inexpensive. A one-four, one-fourth pound, oh no, a one-point-four-pound hatchet with a hickory wood handle was twelve dollars and ninety-nine cents. It was made in India, and it just it seemed like it should cost more. And when I see something that seems to cost too little, my first thought is, it must be poor quality, but it looked, had a hickory wood handle, pretty high quality. The second thing I should think of is, does this product's price reflect all of the cost? In other words, are there negative externalities such as environmental, societal, or other costs that are being borne by others instead of by the manufacturer? Retailer or consumer. In other words, are there are there corners being cut to keep prices down? In the case of the hatchet, I just didn't know. I, I never really thought about where hatches were ma- hatchets were made, and and I guess India seemed like a logical place. But I don't know how the workers were paid, and how how could they deliver a hatchet for fourteen ninety nine? But we decided to buy it, and then stood in amazement at the line at the cash register where men were sorting through dozens upon dozens of coupons to make their tool purchases. We didn't have a coupon, but apparently Harbor Freight Tool is known for their their coupons. There was one gentleman, he had at least 50 coupons he was sorting through, and we chose a different line. Now, Harbor Freight's been around since 1977. It started as a mail-order discount tool store by Eric Schmidt and his father, Alan in North Hollywood, California. I don't know about their ethics. I don't know how they keep their products that cheap, but as an example, there we were in a store. I like to think of myself as an ethical consumer, but I didn't know, and I bought anyway. There's a book titled The Myth of the Ethical Consumer by Timothy DeVinney, Pat Auger, and Gianna Eckhart. And, And they believe that indeed, Ethical consumption is a myth. They believe it's a myth, and they describe a myth as a form of heroic but uniquely unattainable role model. In other words, the standard is too high, we'll never be able to get to it. So there's a myth, and the reason why is what it means to be an ethical consumer. The Oxford English Dictionary defines ethical as relating to moral principles, morally correct. In other words, there's a clear line between right and wrong, good and bad. And when it comes to ethical consumption, we'll see there is not by any means a clear line in terms of is this a right purchase or wrong purchase? It's many, many shades of gray. Gianna Eckhart and Timothy Deviney also wrote a, an academic article along with her co-author Russell Belk that I'll refer to a lot in today's episode and it was titled, Why Don't Consumers Consume Ethically? And you can get links to these show notes at, and to these articles at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Or you can become a member of my free insider's guide. And I'll email those, weeks, those links to you weekly, along with a summary article and other valuable content. You can sign up for that at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com on the homepage. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. They say in this academic article, what is generally considered to be ethical consumer behavior is in flux. Is it really good to boycott goods from China to protest unethical unemployment practices when they may result in fewer jobs for Chinese workers who have no employment alternative? Which is a great question. We're going we're to look at some quotes related to that later. But that it, there is no clear-cut determination, the article goes on, consumer ethics should involve not only core values about social justice, morality, and just behavior, they should also be relatively easy to act upon given the choices available in the marketplace that align with ethical stances. And and that's the crux of it. It's not easy to act upon ethical consumption because there's not always a clear-cut choice. The hatchet, is that an ethical hatchet or not? And we needed something to cut wood, so we bought it anyway. They go on in the article, even consumers without strong ethical convictions would like to think of themselves as good people. So doing the right thing in their consumption choices should be appealing. However, doing the right thing may mean paying more, expending more time and effort to find the right product, or doing without a popular brand. Therefore, consumers may choose to remain consciously or subconsciously ignorant of the labor conditions, environmental impacts, or intellectual property rights issues involved in the products they buy. This allows them to continue to see themselves as good people despite engaging in ostensibly unethical consumption behavior. There is a cost to being ethical, and it's a cost in terms of time, often in money or even given giving up social prestige. And we'll look at an example uh, of all those later. There's a book by Charles Tilley, and it's called Why. And it it talks about why why we make the choices we make. And it it talks about how we tell ourselves stories to justify our actions. So we're narrative-driven people as humans. And so we want superior stories. And superior stories simplify cause and effect. We want things to be good or bad as opposed to shades of gray. And so we have these stories that simplify cause and effect, deal with a limited number of actors and actions, and omit or minimize errors. So what are some of the stories we tell ourselves to justify our purchases of of items that, that may or may not be unethical? Well, the author's Gianna Eckard, Russell Bell, and Timothy Davini—they interviewed twenty consumers around the world. They were hour-long consumers. They were represented by eight countries: in Australia, China, Germany, India, Spain, Turkey, Sweden, and the United States. And they were presented with three different scenarios that address some consumer ethics situations. And one scenario involved purchasing counterfeit products. One involved purchasing a popular athletic shoe manufactured under conditions of worker exploitation. And the final scenario involved buying a product that is potentially harmful to the environment or that uses animal byproducts and animal testing. And, And as they did these interviews, they came up, there were three main types of stories or justification that consumers came up with. And the first is economic rationalization. The fact that we make a purchase based on the price and we feel like we don't want to pay that extra cost to try to buy something that that is more ethical. We want to get the most value for our money. And we feel like we can't afford it. And that's often the case. We had a discussion of a Memorial Day with my sons. And we were talking about T-shirts. They like to wear T-shirts. And the question is, how much? And there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that I'll link to. It was titled, T-shirt. How much is a $415 men's T-shirt better than a $6 one? And you can buy $6 T-shirts? And you can buy four hundred and fifteen dollar t shirts. Where at, w- at what price point is it ethical, or in terms of quality, or how much should you pay? And it's tough. and And my son mentioned he would, would love to buy ethical t shirts, but he doesn't have the money to do that. So he'll often buy them at Uniqlo, which was mentioned in the article. I actually ended up ordering him a couple t shirts from a, a different brand, three sixteen that is based in New York that, that ended up being about $40 per t-shirt. And we'll see if, see how the quality is. But one of the, there were some Australians mentioned in the, or that were interviewed. And here's the quote from the article. Most Australians, this is from one of the interviewees. Most Australians are concerned about price, not the labor issues. Morals stop at the pocketbook. People might say something, but if they were to make them, the athletic shoes in Australia at twice the price, People would buy the foreign cheaper brand. Those blokes, the factory workers in Southeast Asia, are lucky to have a job. If they weren't making them there, these people would not have work. And so we often make the choices based on economic rationalization. We often justify our consumption choices and not expending the time, for example, to figure out if it's ethical or not, not paying the cost in terms of time. The reason is what they call institutional dependency. The the idea that the government is responsible to ethically regulate products. And it gave some example of a Swedish interviewee that said, the government should protect the environment. Similarly, another Swede said, now we are part of Europe. So it's Europe's responsibility. The article said, among many German consumers, this lack of individual responsibility was revealed in what we call a traditionalist manner. That is, these informants felt the expected pattern of government protection absolve them of responsibility they ask why should they waste time thinking about such issues or changing their consumption patterns for example one german said that the situations presented in the scenarios are just the way things are another said i can't do i cannot do anything about it so why bother thinking about it another expressed this logic with a fairly typical don't talk about things that don't concern you and you can do nothing about. Let me pause for a moment and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H dot slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. A third story that consumers tell themselves to justify purchasing products that may be unethical is what the authors call developmental realism. That some unethical behaviors on the part of corporations must exist in order for macro-level economic development to occur, particularly in emerging market nations. An example of an interviewee in China said, normal, it's absolutely normal and natural since it's a market economy. Another respondent in China, to have exploitation of the workers is quite natural. This is the natural adoption of every business throughout the world. A young Chinese woman noted that most people know how Nike shoes are made. It's very normal. Some say it's a good thing. You will be laid off if you aren't oppressed by others. The boss gives money to you. The boss earns money, and then you have money. No one is hurt. Everyone has won. An example from an interview in India. What can we do? It has nothing to do with us. Some people earn well. Some countries are poor. That is business. It's cheap for them. Nike, if they try to do it in the U.S., they have to pay more. There's nothing wrong. If they have workers, if they, the workers, had no job, then how would it be? At least they have food to eat. And another Indian acquiesced that basically there are few opportunities to work. Therefore, they, the workers, are satisfied with whatever work they get. Something is better than nothing. Manufacturers take this as an opportunity to give them low wages. In this way, both manufacturers and labor benefit. It's intriguing that all those comments were from individuals in the developing world. And, and that and, and I, I thought about that. A listener, Noah, sent me a link to a podcast, Econ Talk, in which Russ Roberts, the host, interviewed Elizabeth Pape. And she's the founder of the women's clothing company, Elizabeth Suzanne. And they make all their clothes in the US, their, their higher price point. And they had this discussion. And one of Robert's points was exactly this this economic realism that the or developmental real developmental realism is how we put it that that this is what it takes that there's no jobs there and so they're willing to line up and take any job even though the workers might not work in the best conditions and that's just the way the world works and and I struggle with that but then again this is why this is not a black and white issue this is why it's not clear right or wrong because in fact that there are jobs being provided i'd like to think that companies and i responded to noah that it seems to me that there's a happy medium somewhere that we could pay a little more for shirts and and then workers could have a better working conditions now another reason and this wasn't discussed in the article that we we don't make or think about ethical choices. It's just it's just too complicated to figure out. What what is the right choice? And there was a recent article in the New York Times by Tatiana Sloshberg. It's titled Fig Leaves Are Out. What to wear to be kind to the planet? And this gets back to materials, the cotton or wool. You know, what is the most environmentally friendly material to wear? And she says buying less is the easiest way to make a difference. But when you do need new clothes, you will usually be choosing among among four major types of fibers, oil-based synthetics, cotton, rayon, and wool. Their environmental trade-offs are so varied that a definitive ranking would be impossible. So she, she did the analysis, did the study, and found there wasn't a right answer, that cotton is the best, the most environmentally fent- uh, environmentally friendly Product and, and and so that that makes it a struggle when it's just you don't know it's just too complicated to figure out and sometimes it's easier to to fi- let let the government do it or let somebody else because it's hard to figure out there's just and, and maybe there isn't even a right answer and then and a final reason that we often or a story we tell ourselves or, or things that we do to justify perhaps purchasing something that may or may not be ethical it, is fashion. What's fashionable? We might choose something because it's fashionable. You see this a lot on YouTube that many YouTubers talk about the hauls they do in terms of clothing, and they, they, they want to buy a bunch of clothes and buy the latest fashion and don't really think about any type of ethical considerations. But in, in the, the article I want to refer, refer to now was by Lucy Kellaway, And it was in the Financial Times, and it was called, You Heard It Here First, Hold Fast to Your Antiques. She had some antiques, mahogany antiques, a a desk and a table from her mother. And it was a Georgian demi-loon table in mahogany, so it it was a darker brown. She put it up for auction. For three weeks, it didn't get a bid. And on the fourth week, it sold for 42 pounds. Not very much money for a mahogany antique. And she mentioned she went online and looked at Ikea, and for 55 pounds, you could buy an Alav table. She writes, it's not made of the finest wood by cabinet makers who learned marquetry during a seven-year apprenticeship, but of fiberboard and plastic, and you have to screw on the metal legs yourself. And she was dumbfounded. Because brown or darker furniture, mahogany furniture, is not fashionable right now, people are willing to pay for an inferior product that's lighter in color than pay for an antique. She goes on, I know that the consumer is supposed to be always right, but according, but according to these relative prices, the consumer is behaving like a ninny. The continued unpopularity of brown furniture proves all those experts who talk about consumer behavior are talking rot. One of the biggest trends for the past few years is meant to be authenticity. We are meant to love things that are handmade, constructed from natural materials, which come with stories attached. There is nothing more authentic, handmade, or natural than a mahogany demi-lune table. And when it comes to stories, being 250 years old means you have collected a few. Yet we do not love these tables. We hate them. What consumers actually love and have always loved are things that are fashionable. No one values authenticity or stories in the abstract. We only like them if we can attach them to something that we already desire because all of our friends desire it too. Actually, if one other reason we don't buy ethically, and it often comes down to context or expediency, what's going on in the moment? What else is going on in our lives? I'm there to buy a hatchet. I need a hatchet at the time. And I bought it. I didn't, I mean, I considered ethics, but at the end I compromised. I just bought it because we wanted to make more pizza. We need to be able to chop wood. And so an example is a classic study it's called the Good Samaritan Experiment. It was back back in 1973 by Darley and Batson. And this this actual experiment was mentioned in the book that that ethical consumption is a myth. And in the experiment, the students were studying to be priests at a theological seminary. And it, they were asked to come to the university to give a lecture to students on the parable of the Good Samaritan. So when they arrived to give the lecture, the researcher indicated the lecture been moved to another building and that the theologians had either five minutes, 15 minutes, or 30 minutes to get to the new location. And then as each theologian entered the building to give his or her lecture, an actor pretended to be ill and collapsed in the doorway. The research question was how many of the theologians on their way to give a lecture on the Good Samaritan stopped, and hence lived the example Described in the parable. What was amazing is the single biggest determinant of what the theologians did was how much time they had to get to the lecture. If they had less time, they would just walk by and, and not help. And if they had more time, then they were more likely to, to help. And so it depended on the context. And, and our buying choices or our actions often depend on our context. And if, if we're pressed for time, we might make a, a less less ethical choice. So what do we do? If if ethical consumption doesn't really exist, that it's a myth for because we, we're trying, we're telling ourselves stories, we're simplifying, and we often make justifications for our actions, or we can't get the information that we actually need. It's just too complicated, or we're not able to pay the cost, or don't want to pay the cost in terms of time or, or money. It's it's a conundrum. All we can do is do our best. We can listen to the stories we are telling ourselves, try to understand them, try to to get as much information as we can. Hopefully it'll get be easier to make these ethical choices. But we also have to recognize that it's not strict ethics. Ethics suggests there's an absolute right and wrong when it comes to our product choices. But often there, there isn't. It's not black or white. It's gray. And so it takes context, judgment, and, and we just have to kind of muddle our way through. But definitely listen to the stories we are telling ourselves. Now, what is our justification for making this purchase? So at least we recognize why we're buying and, and, and the decision we are making, the decision to buy, and what our justification for making that particular purchase purchase decision now it could be it's easier to say well just don't buy but actually buying helps the economy it helps the economy grow we had the example recently that we, we've mentioned moved in this house well we it needs some some painting done inside and laprell like her her idaho root says do it I, we should do it ourselves we shouldn't spend the money and hire a painter and because that's how she grew up. You just did things yourself. But my my view, and she agrees with me, is this is how we help the world move forward. We hire a painter because that's their business. And that allows them to go out and buy, hopefully, hopefully ethical products. But we have to spend. It's not as simple as I'm just not going to spend. We can be more careful with how we spend. We can hopefully, if we can afford it, spend Higher quality, so we're buying less but paying more, that is just as effective as, as paying less and buying more things. Better to buy higher quality so that it, it has less of a resource drain but can have just as large of impact on the economy. So we do our best, and that's what we can do. We, there's this high standard, this myth of the ethical consumer, the heroic ethical consumer that always makes the right choice that doesn't exist, so we do our best, but at least listen to the stories we're telling ourselves and and muddle our way through. So that's episode 160. Again, show notes are at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I have not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.